I'm Spain, I'm France, I'm Africa, I'm Switzerland, I'm Finland, I'm Adel, Georgia, you know? Like a little bit of all of those places are in me. Another season in the books, the podcast featuring professional athletes who have taken their careers overseas. We'll hear about their seasons, come and gone, the process, their struggles, and what it's been like living and playing overseas. We'll also talk academics and the differences between the European and the American systems. I'm your host, Leslie Knight, 12-year veteran in Europe's professional basketball leagues. Let's get to it. Thirty-five years ago in a small town in Georgia, a little girl was born. Unknowingly, this little girl would end up making a name for herself and bringing more people to the town of Adel, Georgia than ever before. She played basketball because she loved the game, plain and simple. The small town life she knew oh so well would change drastically the day she left for college. And after that, she'd see more of the world than she ever could have imagined. Well, hey, Jazzy. All the Hi, way from Faye. Atlanta. <laughs> How you doing? I'm doing great. How about you? I'm doing pretty well. Um, I mean, obviously in quarantine, but, you know, I get to talk to people like you and keep me company during the day, so I can't complain about that. Right. This is true. Um, and before we get started, I'm just curious, like the, the situation in Atlanta um, sounds like you still go to work, you come home, uh, but you're still doing stuff on the weekends, going to farmer's markets and whatnot. Like, are people taking it seriously there or are they just kind of going about their daily lives? Um, I'll, I'll say at least 80% is taking it serious. You know, you always have people that are like, oh, well, I can't catch it. You know, it's not going to get me. I'm fine. I'm not coughing. I'm not sick, you know. But I think 80% of the people are definitely taking it serious. The government, um, the mayor here in the city of Atlanta, um, she put a shelter in place uh, about two weeks before the governor did it for the state. So a lot of mayors within the cities here are taking are doing what they need to do for their city. So now that the governor has issued his shelter, his statewide shelter in place, um, I think that's up until the 13th and he, he may extend it. I hope he does. But there's more people like the streets are empty. And this is Atlanta. There's yeah. traffic all the time in Atlanta, but the streets are empty. So I think a majority of people are taking it serious. Um, we are allowed to go to like grocery stores. Uh, if you have to go to work, you have to have this uh, authorization form that says, you know, you're going to work in case you get stopped by the police. Um, but aside from that, you know, grocery store, work, home, essential stuff is what it's supposed to be. But every now and then you see people walking, families, yeah. you know, I've, I'm sure kids go stir crazy just being inside all day. So, you know, every yeah. now and then people are out walking. But that's about it. Yeah, I can't lie. I am jealous of the fact that, I mean, I know in Minnesota, you know, they're encouraged to stay inside, but you can still go outside and exercise and do things. And I'm like, ugh, you know, I wish I could do that. But here <laughs> they basically they basically just said it's all or nothing, you know, so we're, we're at home pretty much all day and you can't go to the park. You can't go anywhere except for to work or the grocery store, like you said, but 
Um, well, interesting. I enjoy hearing what it's like in all the different places, you know, around the world. Yeah. So thanks for filling me in about Atlanta. Yeah, um, to be honest, I, I wish Atlanta was more like how it is for you, you know? Like, so be a little more strict with it. Like, only grocery store and, and work and home. That's it. Other than that, stay in the house. Yeah. But, you know. Yeah, but the United States, I don't know. There's that. Yeah. They don't want to make that sacrifice. You know, they'll just, you you got people that may go jump out of windows because they're tired of sitting inside. It's like, you know, like this is a small sacrifice for you to have for, the, for you to have the rest of your life, you know? Yeah. But, yeah, I agree. I agree. Um, all right. Well, getting into the interview, tell us about your first sports memory. Um, <laughs> my first sports memory had absolutely nothing to do with basketball. Um, my first sports memory, I was playing, I remember the first year I played softball or, or baseball, whichever one you want to call it. And I sucked. <laughs> I could have hit the ball. Um, I struck out almost every time at that and I would cry. You know, I think I was like eight years old. Um, I would cry. I absolutely suck. They put me in uh, right field, which is where nobody ever hits the ball. Um, I was horrible. Like, so serious. I was horrible. And then um, that was, we lived in one city and then we, my family ended up moving uh, back into my hometown. And I, the next year I played, I was so good. I don't know what happened. From that time to that, I think it's because the coach didn't believe in me, you know, like, <laughs> seriously, I'm eight years old, like, the coach was like, she was really aggressive, she thought I was a really good kid, but she was really aggressive, and all she, I feel like all she cared about was her daughter, and her daughter was really good, she was a pitcher, but I sucked, like, <laughs> I hated going up to bat. Like, I was so nervous. I would stand there, like, the first two pitches, I would never swing. I would just stand there, and he'd be like, strike. And I'd be like, okay, I guess I better try and swing. And then another pitch comes, and he's, I'm just standing there waiting, and he's like, strike two. I was like, dang it. You know, I'm thinking maybe one of them is going to be a ball, so I have a little, a little more time. And then they'll throw the third one, and I'm like, I have to swing. And it could be a pitch that's short that hits the dirt before it even gets to the plate, but I'm swinging. You know, like, I, but I was eight, so I literally sucked at softball. But again, I don't know what happened after that. The year after that, I moved back to my hometown and we played, uh, I played with, you know, my friends and everything. Some of my mm -hmm. family members and stuff. And I think maybe that was the difference because that year I was like killing it. I, I just like, <laughs> and I, and I got put in left field, which is where all the balls get hit. So <laughs> everything mm -hmm. changed after that. So that that would be my first sports memory. Yeah, you just needed a year to like digest all that new material. And then, you know, you got I in guess. a comfortable environment and you just, you know, you I broke guess. out the hell. And we played against that coach again because uh, I made like the all-star team. And we ended up playing against that coach in a tournament. And when I tell you her mouth was like on the floor, she was like, what happened? Like you you were not this player when you were here. And I was just like, did my shrug. I was like, I don't know. <laughs> That's awesome. Yeah. Um, so when did you start getting into basketball? 
Um, basketball was like that following year too. I was like nine. Um, when I it's, it's when my when my family moved back to my hometown, and I think I just got around in that comfort zone, and uh, there was nothing else to do because I'm I'm from the country, uh, and so there was really nothing else to really do except for go to the park and play basketball, climb the monkey bars, and all that stuff. And um, I just kind of picked up a ball one day at the park, and that was it. How many people lived in your hometown? Oh, Faye, you're asking a question. I have no idea. Um, now, because a lot of people have had babies, it may be, you know what? What's the name but, of uh, it? Adele, Georgia. A-D-E-L, Georgia. You know, I don't think I've ever been to Georgia. What? You were just in Atlanta the other day. Not the other day. But... Well, in the airport. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know if that counts, but yeah, they have a cool <laughs> airport. That uh, that what was it? The rainforest type thing was pretty mm-hmm. sweet. The cafe, rainforest cafe. Yeah. yeah. It says fifty-three hundred people. That can't be right. I thought it was at least like ten thousand. I feel like my family is about five hundred. <laughs> <laughs> I I should have never looked that up. Okay, great. <laughs> So, okay, so Adel, Adel, Georgia, 5,300 people. That's a pretty small town. Roughly, roughly. Yeah, roughly. yeah, yeah, yeah. We had, um, when I was there, we had one, one red light. One yeah. stoplight. Yeah, yeah. Wow. Yeah, I'm assuming as a young kid, you spent a lot of time outside. You spent a lot of time okay. at the park. I was outside a lot. Um. Growing up, it was, uh, I always say this, it was like nine boys, all like relatives of mine. There was nine boys, and then I came along, you know, two years after the youngest boy. And um, so that's what I had. I had a lot of boys to run around and play with. So I was outside running around, playing in, in ditches, um, digging for worms. I had, I never went fishing because I, I couldn't touch the fish. I was scared of the fish. I, nobody could get me to grab a fish. Um, but yeah, digging in worms, climbing trees, throwing rocks up at birds' nests. Uh, bad, I know, but we were kids. Um, running around, shoes off, uh, just free, you know, just we were kids just out in the country. Um, so when would you say you started taking basketball more seriously? Uh, when I was probably 10, I thought around fifth grade, um, because we had we actually had a rec team that played all-stars. <laughs> And um, in that tournament, um, like just being standing beside a lot of other players, first of all, I'm pretty sure a lot of other women basketball players can relate to this about being one of the tallest in the room, uh, even in school. Um, Mm -hmm. And so I was one, I was probably the tallest all the way through until the boys hit puberty and they started to shoot up. Yeah, in fifth grade, um, we made all-stars and we were playing in this tournament and um, I don't know, just like something kind of clicked and it was like, if I didn't get this rebound or if I didn't shoot this shot or, you know, if if uh, I didn't hustle back, like our team would lose, you know? And it was like that feeling of it's on me. And so um, and it was just kind of like a, a, a series of games actually where I was like, okay, you know, I, I, I like this. You know, when you like things and you're good at it, you're going to want to continue to do it. Um, I guess 
I guess I can't say fifth grade because it's kind of like you're still playing for fun. I guess I'll say more so like eighth grade when I played AAU basketball here in Atlanta um, to go from the country to a city and I'm like out here playing and I'm playing with some competition I've never seen, but really, really good competition. And um, I remember we were playing in a game um, in a tournament and it was down to like the last five seconds of the game. We had called timeout and the coach actually told him to give like to get me the ball. And I was like, huh, me? I guess in that moment, I was like, okay, so other people really believe in me. I must really, really be good. Cause I'm thinking like, I just play, you know how I play. I just go out there and play. You know, I just, I play hard. I do everything I can do to help the team win. And that's it, you know, I, I don't, I don't want to be like the star. I don't want to be, you know, the it player. I just want to do what I'm good at to help the team win, which is what I've always done. And so in at toward the end of the game, he was like, you know, we're going to try and get the ball to Jazz. It was like, what? And I actually made the shot and we won the game. <laughs> which actually, which also boosts your confidence. And you're like, yes. Okay, this is it. This is it. And then, uh-huh. um, and then I started hearing about college coaches come in and I can get scholarships and all this stuff. And I was like, okay, I'm going to stick with this. This is it. This is uh-huh. it. And, and yeah, I think I'll say, yeah, around about eighth grade is when I started taking it seriously. I was like, okay. That's kind of cool that you have a specific memory of when yeah. you kind of started, when you realized, you know, because when you're mm-hmm. young, you don't really think about all that stuff until yeah. maybe something, somebody says something to you, something happens and you're like, oh, right. maybe I can do this, you know? Right, um, right. Like when I was in eighth grade, I wasn't thinking about college at all. Um, I didn't oh. even know, I didn't even know I could go to college to play basketball. I hadn't thought about it. When did you start to think, like, when did you start seeing those college coaches express interest in you? And what was that recruiting process like? Oh my God. Okay. So we're, I'm from a small town. I was the first player and the only player to ever have over like a hundred college coaches coming to the city, coming to my high school, like to meet with me, to, you know, see me play. I guess for me, to, the way to describe it, it was awesome, but it was unwanted extra attention. <laughs> like, because it was, because then it was, my city's only obviously 5,000 people. It's like, so everybody knows you now. Everybody's looking at you. Everybody's trying to see what you're going to do. You got people cheer for you, some real, some fake, you know? Like, it's it just, it's unwanted attention. I, I like to always be behind the scenes. I never like to be in the spotlight. I guess the coaches started coming. Like, like I said, I played for the Georgia Metros here in Atlanta. And my eighth grade year, I was pretty decent. Yeah, the year before my senior year, the summer before my senior year, I played. And we played in at Nationals in um, Texas. And that was even crazy because there were, like, coaches there all over the place. I, I know you, you've probably been in like, the AAU tournaments. You know how they go. And there were coaches all over the place. But little old me, being from the country, I didn't pay any attention. Somebody had to bring – I thought this was, like, all a lot of parents because there's a lot of teams there. So I'm thinking it's just everybody's <laughs> parents, you know, it is what it is. I ain't really paying any attention because I wasn't thinking, 
oh, I need to go out there and do this so I can get a scholarship. I wasn't thinking that either. I was just, my, I was going to go to Georgia State, right here to, in Georgia. Um, and that's something that me and one of my cousins had always talked about, just coming here, playing here at Georgia State, representing, you know, for Georgia and stuff like and so I had I wasn't thinking about all the college coaches and seeing all the coaches that were there, even though I would see a lot of people in like certain shirts, with little polo shirts that had the team, the school name on it and everything. I, I still didn't think anything of it. Um, and so we were playing, we were about to play. And my AAU coach came up to me. I love this guy, Coach Huddleston. I love him to death. If it wasn't for him, though, I would not have had the scholarship that I have, because literally where I was in the country, nobody would ever seen me. Um, so I appreciate him for, you know, coming to get me and wanting me to and helping me be on that team and helping me uh, get to the level I needed to be to be recognized and get those scholarships and have the opportunity. But we were about to play um, before a game and he came up to me and he's like, hey, he's like, Jazz, there's a coach from Cincinnati that's really, really interested in you. And I was like, where's Cincinnati? <laughs> <laughs> I was like, oh, okay, where's Cincinnati? Cincinnati? What? A, okay. And so all of a sudden he pointed to her. He's like, you know, but she can't really approach you. And I was like, why not? You know, like I'm confused. I, all this stuff is new for me because I, I wasn't thinking about stuff like that. Um, and so he was just like, you know, but I'm going to point her out to you, you know, just so you'll know who she is because, you know, she's, she's really, really interested. And I was like, okay, he pointed her out, and I looked across the gym, and it was like this tall black woman. She had the biggest Kool-Aid smile on her face, and she was just waving, looking bubbly. Hi. <laughs> and then I was like, okay, let's go play the game. <laughs> but um, that that tournament, um, that tournament was probably the tournament where. I got noticed. I really got noticed. And I think that was like beginning or middle of March, something like that, because our high school season had just ended. Um, or it may have been it may have been a little later. You know, I'm, you know, I'm up there in age a little bit, so my dates may be mixed up. But uh, <laughs> it was definitely a little bit before it was before my senior year, but during that tournament there was that's when I got noticed and my whole entire senior year, like I started getting letter after letter after letter where I made a little scrapbook. <laughs> I was like, I got me like a little a little binder and I bought the uh plastic uh the plastic covers to stick the letters in and every letter I would get, I would just open it and slide I wouldn't even read them. I would just open it and slide them in. I'm like, oh dude, that's nice. Oh, UGA, that's nice. Oh, Tennessee, that's nice. But I didn't want to go to those places. You know, places like that, you want to play against those teams and have an opportunity to beat those teams. You know, you see those teams all the time on TV celebrating their championships and everything. And I'm like, I don't want to play with you. I want to beat you because I feel like you're, you're at the top. You're the best. So if I could be the best, that's an accomplishment, you know. But yeah, I would just take the letters and I would keep them. And, you know, my mom, every day she come in with the mail, like, here you go. <laughs> like, mail call hey. yeah. <laughs> like, all the while I'm just like literally this shy kid sitting in my room coloring, drawing doing sketches of like floor plans for homes and stuff reading 
magazines, like just this shy kid, you know? And then all that attention came and all that attention hit and it was like, it was always destined to be in this position. Um, so it wasn't overwhelming. It was just a little unwanted, but it was still cool at the same time because, you know, you got all these people coming here just for you. And this has never happened for boys, for like girls, nobody. Like, and I think that part was the part that was, uh, that was exciting for me um, was just to be the only person out of over boys. Cause I grew up with nine boys, so I'm competitive. So to be the to be above the boys, to have this this moment where all these coaches are coming here for you, and that's never ever happened before. I think it still hasn't happened, to be honest. I think I still hold that crown. Yeah. <laughs> I bet in, I in the town of five thousand people. <laughs> well, oh, I think... seems so small now. Yeah, it seems very small. But I think for people like myself, who I'm. I don't want to say I'm from the cities, but I went to a high school of, I don't know, probably close to 3000 kids. And, um, you know, that, that was more than half your hometown. So for (laughs) for me, it was kind of normal, you know, but I can't imagine what it would be like to be a small town kid in a small town and then all of a sudden have all this attention. And, um, it must've been quite the experience. Um, but so did you end up taking your five official visits or did you uh, commit early or? I only needed two. I only okay. Needed did two. You I, I did. I did go. I did go to Cincinnati. Yes. Okay. I was going to uh, ask you. She, she followed me. She came like, I believe in my senior year, she came like three or four times. And I'm like, you're coming from all the way up in Cincinnati to here, like little bitty here. Um, but she came like three or four times. So I, when I did go, I um, I went there. I went to Cincinnati. I didn't like it. I didn't like the, the atmosphere. I didn't like the climate. I didn't I didn't like the feel of it. And it rained the entire time I was there. So I was like, that's a sign. God, you sent me the sign. So um, when I met the coach, when I met the head coach, I didn't really like the feelings I got off of her. Um, as far as the players, I wasn't really looking at the players to get a good feel of it. Because I can adjust to most people, you know, as long as you get out here on the court and we're playing basketball, if you're talking basketball, I don't care who you are off the court, off the court, you know, like mm-hmm. we on the court, I'm here to come play basketball and go to school. As long as I don't have to live with you, we're good. You know? <laughs> um, uh, keep in mind, this is coming from a shy girl. Like, so I'm, it wouldn't matter to me if we did live together, I would be in my room. Wouldn't matter. But, um. I went to Cincinnati and I went to Louisville. Obviously, I went to, I chose Louisville because that's where I went for four years. The atmosphere there, the vibe there, the feeling that I got, um, I, I guess it's because Louisville, the University of Louisville is the only, it's like your professional team there. So you were literally in a college town. Cincinnati, you know, you got the NFL team, you got their their pro baseball team. Um, then you have their college. Um, I don't know if they have hockey, they may. But um, the vibe I got when I went to Louisville was just it was different. Mm-hmm. It felt like it, it felt like it was the right place for me to be. Now, mind you, the team, the the, the players, um, they were they were cool. Uh, they took me to a party, of course. And I was just thinking to myself, 
little old me from this small country town, I'm up here at a college party. I'm standing there like, I'm standing there like what? Hey guys, uh, how long are we gonna be here? They're like, we can leave whenever you're ready to leave. We're just bringing you here because you, you know, we're just trying to show you, you know, the, the college and the town and all. I was like, we can go. <laughs> we can go. I'm 17. Like, I'm 17. I don't live in the city. A party for me where I am in the country is a house party, you know, with like maybe 10 people. Right. <laughs> so. Um, but it was it, it still was kind of cool because I also got a chance to see like what the party scene was like and there were sorority girls up in there there was the frat brothers up in there and uh, you know the music would come on and they I stayed long enough to see that part and it gave you that college feel when you see the sorors and the frats walking through doing their little stomps and stuff it's like yeah <laughs> I could see myself here, you know. So the yeah. coach was decent. Um, jacked up part for me, the coaches that recruited me, uh, he ended up resigning at the end of that year. Mm. And so I never got a chance to play for him. And I yeah. could have signed elsewhere, but I was just like, I didn't come here just for the coaches. I came here for this atmosphere, for this vibe. And so uh, I ended up staying. And the new coaches that came in, they lied. But they they stuck to the the scholarship offer. I mean, if new coaches come in, yeah. they, could, they could have yeah. potentially. Uh huh. I mean, he could have, and I would have I would have made a different decision and went elsewhere. You know, I wouldn't I wouldn't have been uh, upset or anything because you didn't recruit me, so it's only fair. You right. know? Did you guys make it to postseason every year that you were there? Um. Yeah, I think my freshman year we did the the WNIT. Uh, there you go. Woo! Maybe. Yeah. That's what it is. Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, I told you I'm up in age, Pay. <laughs> um, yeah. The my freshman year we made it to the WNIT, and then my sophomore, junior, and senior year we lost in the first round of the NCAA tournament. Okay. All of game, all the games were games I feel like we should have won, but mm-hmm. you know how that goes too. So. <laughs> um, <laughs> so and oh, I haven't asked you yet, but what was your major in college? Well, we didn't even talk about. Um, what was the transition like between going from high school to college as far as lifting weights, workouts, um, the on-court and the off-court? Because it's a big it's a big jump. It is. Um, I will say uh, in high school, we lift weights in high school. Um, so I was kind of adjusted to that. I mean, we have anything else to do here in the country. So, um, <laughs> But uh, our team, we would do weightlifting um, in high school. So I was kind of prepared for that. What I wasn't prepared for was those five in the morning workouts. Um, <laughs> those were different. Uh, <laughs> let me see if I can tell this story really quick. So the uh, first few times we had to run around the track outside, as you know, I absolutely positively hate the track. Um, and so the first time, first few times we had to run out there, I was like heaving, like I was like, <laughs> yeah, I couldn't like gather myself. And this is after like three laps. <laughs> that's true that's true but and see everybody else was going a good speed and i was trying to keep up so finally um the this was probably like the fifth or sixth time we were out there and they were just like you know i think you may have a mild case of asthma we should go get you checked and i was like okay and so we went to 
we went to the doctor. The doctor was like, yeah, you have a mild case of asthma. Uh, we're just going to give you this Advair or whatever you take this. And I was like, okay. So after that, I got a pass. <laughs> you didn't I have to run outside? No. <laughs> seriously? No, yeah, seriously. After that, like, that happened. And it just kind of, uh, it doing, it just kind of dropped off for everybody. We just stopped doing outside workouts, and instead, we would get up at 5 a.m. and we do workouts in the gym. Now, in the gym, I'm good all day. I can do the sprints with you, like all of that, all day. I don't know what it is about outside and running those laps. It's just like it's a mind thing, but it's just <laughs> like. So they were like, the doctor prescribed me the stuff and everything. And I had called my mom and we had a good laugh over it because she was like, you played them real nice. I was like, I wasn't playing. I just, you know, they thought I had asthma. So I was like, okay, I guess I got asthma. I had asthma in my life. <laughs> like, okay, I'll take it. You know, I didn't take the Advair, the little thing he prescribed for me because I'm like, I don't have asthma. There's nothing wrong with me. Like, that was a whole mental thing. If, if I could have got past that part in my mind, I would have been fine. Yeah, I don't okay, know, so. though. It's it's tough. You look at the track, it's so big, you know. And, and it's just the- this circle that you run around. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> okay, and what about um, the adjustment between balancing <laughs> your, your academics and your athletics at the same time? I actually wanted to go to engineering school for electrical engineering. Um, And I found out because, you know, your first two years, you're doing all general education stuff. So for me, that that was that was nothing Um, for me. That was just like going to high school. kind of. You know, Um, I was used to having with the way my mom raised us. I was used to having a certain kind of independence and freedom. So I kind of already had the discipline I needed to be able to juggle the things I needed to, to juggle. So off off the court, it was it wasn't that hard of a transition. I think it was, you know, it was welcome because um, for me, it was it was like it was something new, something different. But it's nothing too different from what I've already been doing. Like I've had to juggle sports and education for you know, middle school, high school. Just the only difference is when you get to college, it's a little more time dedicated to the sport. Mm -hmm. And I think that may have been the only difference, but I enjoyed that because I loved working out. I loved playing basketball. I loved watching my body transform from this little high school body to this college body, you know, like this strong toned college body, quicker, leaner. Um, And so that part for me was... um, it was it was fantastic because I, I enjoyed it. Now the walking out from the practices sore and then having to go walk to class and sit in class and be able to focus and pay attention, I would say that part was a little difficult. <laughs> um, that that was definitely difficult because you're sitting there thinking like, oh my god, I'm so hungry, I'm so thirsty, which was my issue. I I never would take the water breaks during practice or drink much water during practice. But after practice, uh, it's like I have to catch up for everything I just lost. I have to catch up. So I'll be sitting in class just gulping down water. And I couldn't tell you some some, te- some days in class what the professor was talking about. And, you know, if you're sitting in that class that's in the auditorium, all these seats, I'm sitting back there trying to think about what am I going to eat? What am I going to make? If I stand up, my body's going to crack and creak. 
Then you got these ice packs on your knees. So I guess that would probably be the biggest adjustment of going from those hard, intense practices where you've given everything you've got and you can't go home and go to sleep. Right. You've got to go to class. Like that probably would have been, that was probably the biggest adjustment that I had to make in my freshman year. But once I understood it and kind of got a grasp for it, like it, it was good. So you originally said you wanted to do electrical engineering, but then did you, you switched it to? I switched it a few times. Uh, I was going to do criminal justice, but that was too much blood and dead bodies. And um, I didn't want to work in anybody's prison because they were just a little too gangster for me. Like the, some people just crazy. Um, so then I switched and I was like, you know, I, I ended up talking to head of academics, athletic academics or whatever. And he was like, you know, Jazz, I've watched you in these interviews. I've watched you speak to the press. I've even watched you on TV with the cameras in front of you, knowing like at the news, knowing that everybody was going to see it. He was like, you're a natural. Just go do communications. And I was like, okay, <laughs> just do communications. So I ended up getting a bachelor's uh, in communications. And I was going to do a minor in photography because I had got into a phase of just, you know, taking pictures all the time, everywhere I went. I took a couple of classes and then I realized, like, I don't need classes to tell me how to take a picture. I got this. So I dropped that minor. Okay. <laughs> yeah. I'm trying to think. You're two years older than I am or one year older than I am. When did you graduate okay. college? Just one. So you graduated yeah. college in 2007? Yes. 2007. Mm-hmm. So did you, while you were in school, were you thinking about the next step? Like, did you think you wanted to go to the WNBA? Were you even aware of the possibilities to play overseas? Yes. Um, my dream, like probably every other player that has ever watched Love and Basketball, was to be able to travel the world, live in a different culture, and play basketball, which I absolutely love. That was always my dream. Um, I think I disappointed a lot of people my senior year when I chose not to go into the draft. Um, I just felt like at the end of my senior year, I needed a break. I needed a pause to just not think about basketball, to not think about the the media aspect of everything, just to just to just come home be in the country, be free, be around my family, and just let my mind go, knowing that I was going to go overseas. That part was guaranteed. That was the thing I always focused on and thought about. Now, of course, everyone else around me, my coaches, our media lady, everybody like at the school was just like, oh, for sure you're going to go, you're going to get signed, da-da-da-da-da. And I was just like, I, I never told you guys that's what I wanted to do. And when I finally said to them, um, and this was beginning of, no, end of January, beginning of February, I told them, I was like, you know, I'm not sure that's really what I want to do. And they were just like, you know, all throughout the rest of the season, they kept asking me. And I gave them the same answer. I don't know. I'm not sure if that's what I want to do. And then finally, we were at the end of the season. We lost that game in a tournament, and they had Lisa Harrison. I don't know if you remember her. She played in the WNBA. But they had her come and talk to me, and we it was so funny. We went into this little room. It was like a closet. It was two little leather chairs in there. The light was dim. She came in, closed the door. I'm sitting there, like, thinking to myself, I hope you guys don't think that by her talking to me, I'm going to change my mind or I'm going to be like, make up my mind or whatever the case may be. 
Um, and at that, at by that time, I had decided, no, I'm not going to go into the WNBA. Um, I don't want the politics. Um, I want my privacy. And I've been all over the United States. I'm okay on the WNBA. Um, my thing was traveling to another country. Like that is the part that really amazed me was bas through basketball. I could go live in a whole other country, an opportunity I would never have unless I was military. I could go live in a whole other country, in a whole other culture, and get paid to play basketball that I love. I can't beat that. I'm from the country. I'm from a country. 5,000 people in my town. <laughs> like, I have an opportunity to do this. That is what I always thought about from uh, the time I saw that movie, Love and Basketball, and then, like, I hit high school and those college offers started coming throughout my career, like, throughout my basketball time while I was there in college and how well things went for me there. It was just like, that's what I'm going to do. I wanted to play in the WBA at one point, but then I was just like, but, you know, the more I, the more players I got to know that were actually in the WBA, the more I didn't want to play in the WBA. It was just, yeah. I knew stuff about players that I really didn't care to know, like your personal stuff. And I was just like, your personal stuff is supposed to be your personal stuff. Like, why does everybody in the WBA know about this stuff? You know? So for the privacy reasons, I was just like, no, to the WBA. So when we were sitting in that little closet and she was trying to she was trying to market it to me. And I was just like, no, I'm OK. I, I don't want to I don't want to sign it. She's like, OK, you know. At the end of she's like, okay. And we walked out and I left. And that was it. That's an interesting story because I bet you are maybe in the minority in that respect. I don't know how many other players would turn down um, a chance to play in the WNBA. Um, but it's I enjoy your your honesty and just kind of telling it how it is. Um, you know, I personally yeah. never I personally was never close to entering in the WNBA, and I have no idea what the politics are and this and that. But um, you know, you decided to go overseas, and I think that is just yeah. as valid. How did you go about getting an agent? Because I'll have uh, young players ask me, you know, Leslie, how did you get an agent? What do I have to do? This and that. How did you go about getting an agent or how did you market yourselves over, overseas? The one agent I, I, I got that I was with for like my first nine or 10 years, um, he, he found me, um, but he didn't find me until like late July. A woman by the name of, both of them actually, a woman by the name of Trisonia, through email, she had contacted me through email. I think she may have gotten my information from one of my coaches in college or something. I don't know, but um, I ended up signing with her. I paid her the little hundred dollars that you had to send her or whatever. This was probably the end of May when I signed with her, uh, the beginning of July. From that point, when I finally signed and sent her my information and everything, I didn't hear from her from that point until like all the way through until I contacted her. And I was contacting her often, you know? trying to see like what are you doing how are you marketing me how are you shopping for me like why aren't you contacting me to get to know me to see what it is i'm looking for what it is i want you know and so uh she was my one bad before i ever started playing or even got she was the one bad agent that i had and in july uh theory theory charbro was not he's my agent he ended up being my agent he's based in france he's not even here in the united states but he ended up being my agent for like nine years. He contacted me sometime in July. I think 
think it was on Facebook, it might have been. He found me on Facebook and he was just asking, you know, how was I doing? What was I doing? What was I up to? You know, was I thinking about playing and continuing my career? He had saw stuff about me on Google, saw a video, all this stuff. And, you know, just he held a conversation with me mm-hmm. to try and see what it is I wanted. What was I looking for? Um, and we, we talked and everything. And that was probably, like I said, toward the end of July, maybe that maybe like two or three weeks into July when I contacted him. Almost every other day, he was he was sending me a message. He was getting in contact with me. He was letting me know what was going on. And I explained to him the situation with Trisonya and, you know, she's supposed to be my agent. And he was like, I tell you what, for this year, for the first year, if I could get you a, a contract overseas, I'll just split the agent fees with her. I was like, that's nice of you. I wouldn't split anything with her. But okay. Um... And so, yeah, he ended up getting my my first season playing. I played in Switzerland my first year. He got me a contract there. And and I rolled with him for like eight or nine years. And then finally I was like, okay, we got to break off. Because I think we we both got a little complacent, you know. We just started taking, you know, for me, I just wanted to play basketball. Being, you know, another country. And the money issue wasn't really the issue for me. You know, I didn't think about you know, increase this, increase that, do this, do that. Like, I felt like the money I was making each year, it went up, which was, to me, that's a good thing. But I also got to a point to where I was like, okay, I want to play in places other than uh, Switzerland, Spain, France. You know, I want to venture off. And so um, I broke, me and him split like about eight or nine years ago, amicably, wasn't no hard feelings or anything. He actually named one of his daughters after me. Um, not Jazz, Aranda. <laughs> ah, Aranda, that's right. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I was, so... I was trying so hard to remember what, you know, your real first name was. Aranda. Okay. Thank great. you for yeah. reminding me. You're welcome. Um, <laughs> but yeah, so we split and then I ended up going to Turkey and that's where I finished off. And I'm proud that that is where I finished off. I feel like that was... A place I needed to be because there you know Turkey is considered like pretty religious or whatever and so but yeah I felt like that was a great place for me to be especially at the time I was in my life um I know everything happens for a reason so um he and I split then but to answer that question yeah he found me she found me and then he found me I didn't market anything he found me and um I'm that person like if, if it works Let's keep going until it doesn't work. When it doesn't work, then we'll split apart. So he found me, and I stayed with him for the first eight or nine years of my seasons, and only played eleven. So, so give me a quick rundown. I stopped in Turkey. I <laughs> <laughs> two years in Turkey, and before that, I was in Lagrange with you guys, and before that, I was in Switzerland, and then before Switzerland, I was in Zaragoza. Before Zaragoza, France, Spain, Finland, Switzerland again. I'm missing something. I'm missing a year. Well, that Whoa. is that's <laughs> that's quite the list of countries and places. Um, yeah. I played in Ecuador too, like three summers in a row. Uh, when I first started out playing, um, three summers in a row, I played in Ecuador for like six weeks. The first year after La Ceu, one of my teammates from there, Lisette Castillo. She, I played uh, with her. 
She's so awesome. She had, uh, she had invited me to come to Ecuador and play with her on a team there in the summer for like six weeks at the end of the season. And I was like, sure. And I ended up going there like three seasons in a row. Mm -hmm. Yep. Three summers yeah. in a row. Which was Please. really, really cool. It was hot there too. Mm-hmm. Lisette, she, you know, she's from Cuba. She was playing in uh -huh. the Olympics, in the Olympics in Barcelona in 1992. Crazy. <laughs> yeah. And she was still out there, like, in the season, throughout the season, all the time, if, if at practice or in a game. If she would cross somebody over, I'd be like, oh, you know, like hype. And she'd be like, she called me Yacy because, you know, the J is like a Y. So she called me Yacy. And she'd be like, yeah, see, you silly and stupid over I was like, hey, you out here like 40-something years old crossing people over still. Like, that's amazing. Yeah. So. Yeah, she's yeah, she, a legend. When, she and I lived together, actually, in when my when I was in the Sable the first year. Mm. She and I lived together. She was my roommate. And I was, it's so funny because we were like, we would vent off of each other. When I would get home, oh, I would just be like, this mofo. He da -da 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 -da. He's worried about my face. He wants me to be out here smiling. Uh, you're not paying attention. I'm not that kind of player. I don't be out here smiling, like acting like I'm enjoying it. I'm just trying to work hard. This is practice, you know. Like, and then when she have her little moments and she needs to vent, she'll be she'll do like the English and Spanish together. And I'm like, I follow. I follow. I understand. <laughs> <laughs> you know, Lisa, I, I understand. Yes. <laughs> yeah, that was so cool living with her. She made, oh, she could cook. God, she could cook. Yeah, I'm so thinking. you guys, though. You know, you guys could cook, too. You know, we tried. We tried. You guys did really well, in my opinion. <laughs> well, thank you. Thank you. Um, so looking back on all your years playing overseas, um, how do you think living overseas and being by yourself and playing on all these teams and seeing the cultures, how do you think that has changed you as a person, especially considering you're from a small town and all of a sudden now <sighs> you're seeing the world and you're immersed in cultures where you don't speak the language and you're seeing these cities and you're being exposed to these foods and these cultural differences. Um, yeah. How is that? How has all of that changed jazz Aranda Jazz Covington. My mom is like very, she's like this free spirit. And so growing up, even though I was from a small town in a little country, she would take us places. We would go places. Um, and I think that's what started for one. I think it, every child needs that opportunity to see something different besides the environment that they're always in. Um, because it opens your mind to other things. And uh, that's what she did for me when I was younger. So uh like leaving home and going to college for me that was that was like the next even though it really is but that was like the next step i needed to take into who i'm supposed to be you know and going from high school to college it's like okay this is a phase let's see how this goes high school to college um i think i matured more so in just learning how to read people a little better and not be so trusting so soon. I also learned how to, I think in college and from being overseas, I learned how to trust myself more. Not to second guess my instinct. Not to second guess like, if this is what I'm gonna do, 
100% believe in that and do that. I learned how to do that for myself because, as you know, being overseas, you have to be your own cheerleader sometimes. Like, you have to be your own motivator sometimes. You may have uh, people on your team, players on your team, um, that may be like, you know, come on, you got this. But it's like a, it's just like a, come on, you got this. It's not like a, a whole conversation you can have within yourself with somebody who actually knows you, which is the difference in being in a different country with a different language, you know? Maybe they know the words to say, but they don't have the English to say it. Mm-hmm. And so it's kind of like you're out there by yourself and you have to find a way to get through it when it's tough by yourself. Mm-hmm. And I think for me, being in a different country uh, with a language barrier, um, I think for me, it taught me how to, it taught me about some toughness and perseverance, one, um, because it's tough being away from your family. Um, it's tough being somewhere where you can't communicate what you need, what you want, what's wrong, you know? So it taught me how to persevere. It taught me how to trust myself, believe in myself. It also just taught me about the kindness of stranger. That I think that is one of the biggest things it it taught me, you know, just be the kindness of these are people that don't know me. And I'm not just talking about uh, the people that are within the club that you're playing for. Like even when you're out just walking, like to have somebody flash a smile at you or to have someone stare you up and down the whole entire time you're walking. And when you walk past them, they're looking at you, but they never say anything. And then you turn around and look back and they're still looking at you. <laughs> you know, like it's just it just it. It gave you a chance to be around so many different facets of people and just learn how to adjust and adapt and how to move, you know, in certain environments, but also just how to just be you. Like, I'm in this foreign country. Nobody knows me. If I want to walk around and bop my head, nobody knows me. If I want to <laughs> walk around and sing at the top of my voice, even though it sounds horrible, but sounds really good to me because I have my headphones on. Nobody knows me, you know, it just kind of gave me a a freedom, a sense of freedom to just be me, whoever that me was going to be. So and it it also kind of spiritually, it it made me dive a little deeper into my spirituality. And, you know, just because when you're alone, it gets tough. And sometimes the only thing you have is God or whoever it is you believe in, that higher being. Sometimes that's all you have, you know. So it, it, it. It created the person that I am today. I can't say that, but I'm like a. I can't really pinpoint exactly who I am because I'm Spain, I'm France, I'm Africa, I'm Switzerland, I'm Finland, I'm Adele, Georgia. You know, like a little bit of all of those places are in me. That's so, beautiful. I love it. Thank you. I can tell by um, the smile on your face. <laughs> <laughs> no, I mean, I've I've only played in two countries, you know, and you've played in a handful of different countries and, you know, mm-hmm. seen a lot of different cultures. And part of me kind of is jealous um, of all those different experiences that you've had. Another question that I want to ask you is, you know, coming from college where you were a senior and you were a leader on your team and a lot was mm-hmm. expected of you, when you go overseas, how do you adjust to 
trying to lead, but maybe not exactly knowing how to because you don't speak the language because everything's different. The system is different. Nobody knows you. Nobody. I mean, they're expecting things of you, but it's not like they're your college coach or your high school coach, you know, where they really know what you can do. Um, right. how, how did you go on to lead in all the different teams and countries that you played in? Uh, I think for me, I'm not necessarily a vocal leader. I'm, I'm going to show you by my actions. And for me, I'm like the players back in the old school days. You are too. You just go out there and work hard. Because you're an American and you're a basketball player, they automatically believe you're great. Automatically. So you know what's expected of you. That You know you're expected to come and produce and, and do your best to help this team win. That's all that matters, winning. So for me... Uh, luckily, because I've always just been this way, I've always been the kind of leader that leads by my actions. I work hard, like I'm going to hustle. I'm going to show you what it looks like to give 100% and mm-hmm. give it, give your all for the team. Now, for me, it always takes the first, the entire first half of the season for me to really start to talk, for me to like, because I'm, I'm an observer. So I have to sit back. I have to get a feel for my teammates. You have to build that chemistry, you know, to know if I come to this teammate right now in this moment where she's frustrated, she's probably going to cry, you know. Or if I come to this teammate right now, I could come to her and say, hey, you know, slap her upside the head. You got this. Let's go. You know, I that's universal. You know, the, the language of basketball, even though the systems are different, the language of basketball is universal. You could say rebound. Everybody knows what defense. Everybody knows what defense means. I may not have to be specific and say, hey, you need to bend your knees, get down, stay in front of her. Do not let her get past you and get to the basket. I'm good with talking with my hands, so I probably could explain all of that. But if I just come to you and I say, hey, defense, that's universal. That means Mm -hmm. pick it up. You got to play defense. So for me, um, my leading like I said, it, it just starts with my actions. And I feel like a lot of times it should be that way because a lot of people, we just talk. You know, you have players that'll be like, you know, constantly talking and trying to tell you what you could do correctly. Or, you know, maybe you, Jazz, you got to do this. Jazz, you got to do that. But they're not doing anything. Mm-hmm. So you need me to do everything that I need to do so you could continue doing it the way you're doing. Mm-hmm. To me, I, I don't like those kind of leaders. I'm not a fan of those kind of leaders. Like, to me, if, if I'm leading and I come in and, the, and all you see from me is me working hard continuously, not only am I leading, but I'm gaining a certain level of respect to where if I do come to you, which I'll never come to a player screaming, what's, what's the point? You're probably more frustrated with yourself and beating yourself up more than anybody could beat you up. So I would never go to a player screaming. I just feel like, you know, I'll, I'll come, I'll work hard. You'll see my hard work. I'll gain your respect. And I think that's why it takes me the entire first half of the season to kind of get a feel of everybody. Um, Cause I'm trying, I'm not necessarily trying to, but a certain level of respect comes. And then once you have that, when stuff starts to happen, like if I need to come and say something, something to you, you're not going to get offended. You're not going to get upset. You're going to be open to the advice. I'm the type of player, if you're going to say something to me, if I'm if I'm messing up and I'm doing wrong, say something to me. Tell me where I can do it better. But if you're doing it wrong and you're not where you're supposed to be, but you're telling me I'm doing it wrong, we might have a problem. 
We might have a problem. Because I know where you're supposed to be. And if you were where you suppo- you were supposed to be, then I would be in the right place I'm supposed to be, you know? So, mm-hmm. um, but yeah, I just think, I think the difference when you're coming from college and you're going overseas, I think college definitely prepares you, well, one, to just, to just work hard. I think college prepares you for that because you think about it, you're practicing four hours, five hours. Like if you if you put in weightlifting, practices, conditioning, film, scouting, you know, by the time you get to play it overseas, you feel more advanced than the coach sometimes because you're sitting there watching the scout report and you're thinking, oh yeah, I see her doing this, 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 this. I watch, you're watching the whole game and you're like, oh, so that's her move. And you're coming to this stuff on your own sometimes before the coach is, or you're seeing things that the coach may not see. You know, I think college prepares you for that next level, definitely. But I think when you get to that next level going overseas, it's expected of you to come and produce. And for me, that's that's just one thing I've always thought. You got to come and produce. But, you know, one thing I would say to other players that are just going over there is you have to go over there and prove to yourself, like, and, and not just from what you've been doing in college. You have to prove to yourself that there is another level to you. And if you go over there and you're working hard, trying to reach that other level, you'll know when you reach it. You know, it might be at the end of the season when you reach it. But you might look back and be like, I was doing this, I was doing this, I was doing this. Gradually, you got to it. And I think for me, that's that's what I did. I went over there not trying to prove anything to anybody, but just to prove to myself, I belong here. I'm supposed to be here. Because you came from a big Division One program in Louisville, um, when you became a professional, what did you think about the differences as far as facilities, resources? Because I think a lot of a lot of college players are very spoiled and they're used oh, to yeah. top-notch facilities, medical care. Um, everything's organized. Everything's given to you, your clothes, your shoes, everything. And then you become yes. a professional and you go overseas and you might find yourself in the majority of situations where it is nothing like um, yes. the, the luxuries of college. Looking back yes. on your experience, can you talk about just a couple of those maybe obstacles or um, I don't know if you want to call them surprises, but things that you had to adjust to? You're, you're right. Um, when you leave high school and go to college, you're spoiled. You have the best of the best of everything. Your shoes, you have your sweats, socks, bras, tights, everything. And then it's like when you go overseas, <laughs> you go back to high school. Except there's no booster club paying for your shoes in, in, like you had in high school. You know, you have to prepare, you have to provide your own gear. Thankfully, you're able to carry all of your gear from college to the next level. So, you know, and that stacks up after four years or so. The fondest memory I have is I was in Switzerland and we had practice and they told us where the practice was and I had to catch the public transportation to get to practice, um, which wasn't a problem. And then uh, the practice facility was like the church gym. You know how gyms, I mean, churches have gyms like little gym. That's what it was like. It was like, or like a recreational gym. It was nothing like the the arenas that we were playing in here in the United States. It's like you're going to just play for fun at the recreational center. Right. And some recreational centers are even nicer than this. Like, 
Um, <laughs> it is the floor. Uh, <laughs> let's, the let's, <laughs> the let's just talk the, about the floor for a little bit. <laughs> All the different okay. lines on there. Yes. Not only that, I kid you not. And I did not play because of this. When I played in Africa, we played on concrete. Mm. Like a couple of games that we played, they were on concrete. I didn't play. He was upset with me, but I didn't play. In, in Ecuador, I played on wood, wood floors. But these ain't your fancy wooden floors like what we are used to in some of these arenas we played in because I've played in some arenas that have the wood floors. The ball just bounces differently. That's it. This wooden floor, if you didn't have your hand ready when that ball bounced back up, you're going to get hit in the face. Or you're going to lose the ball. It was just, oh. And then, um, you know, you have you have some floors that are nice. The arena we played in in Lagronio was really nice. The one in La Seo was really nice. Not all of the uh, places where you play are, are not up to standard as the U.S. <laughs> but uh, there are some that are shabby. And then as far as like treatment and your medical staff and your trainer, like for me, your trainer is the person you're going to do weights, weightlifting with and all that. When you get overseas, the trainer is the person that's taping your ankles and taping your ankles is interesting. You had to provide your own tape sometimes in some of the places I've played in. Thank God I never really had to take my ankles. Um, there was no ice, but like no ice bags. <laughs> you know, you you really are, just to sum it up, you are really, really spoiled in college and you don't realize it until you go overseas and uh, you're playing in some of these other countries where you don't have big ice tubs that you can go and just sit your whole body in and soak. You don't have top-notch uh, medical facilities at the gym. In one area, in one place I played in, he had literally a closet. That was his medical place. And the closet had old basketball uniforms in it. It had everything but medical stuff. And I'm thinking to myself, uh, you want me to take off my shoes in here? <laughs> you know? Like, try, not trying to, to act like I've been spoiled, but just saying, like, wait, uh, is this sanitary? You know, it's been, it just, you know, you, I feel like I say, I think you, you said the proper word, and that is spoiled. We are very spoiled here when you're playing in college. Like, everything is free. You know, you get the, the, the top care, the top doctors. If something is wrong, you twist something, you break something, immediately you can get surgery. You know, immediately you're getting those x-rays. Immediately you can get the care that you need. Um, and I think just when you go overseas, it's like, every man for themselves. I hope <laughs> I hope you learned something from those uh, trainers in college. Because when you get overseas, you better know how to tape ankles. <laughs> right. Yeah there, was, <laughs> yeah, there was one year I taped my own ankles. I never thought I'd have to do that. But mm-hmm. yeah. Yeah. It's crazy. It's crazy. Oh. Uh, Oh my God. Um, one year when I did, the one year I played, the first year I played in Ecuador, we were getting ready to play at this gym that I couldn't even tell you where we were. I, I don't even know how we got there. Uh, I don't even know if we took a road, an actual paved road or a dirt road. Uh, I just know we were there and uh, we were we were in the gym. Um, 
it was a decent gym. It was like a high school gym, you know, like a little, a little small high school gym kind of, and uh, with the bleachers and stuff. And uh, we were getting ready to play. We were uh, like out about to warm up, and I was coming walking out to go warm up. And uh, mind you, there was no locker room. There was just the girls' bathroom. There was the girls and the boys' bathrooms um, that the public and everybody could use. That's where we had to get dressed. Um, there were a few times we got dressed on the bus, which the bus was like this little, you know, when you watch the movies of, um, say, um, Turkey or South Africa or, you know, Iran, and they have the little buses, like, but it'd be like the, the their public transportation over there. It's not a big bus. It's like uh -huh. a little short like one of those that we had to get dressed on sometimes. Um, I started being smart with mine. But anyway, we were about to play. And I was walking out. And all of a sudden, I heard a pop. And the lights went out. I was like, uh, what's going on? <laughs> it had been raining a lot, I guess, there. And the electrical box caught fire. Like, it caught on fire. And the lights went out. And for about two hours, we were sitting in a dark gym and the lights were out. Thankfully, there were two other Americans that played on the other team that was there. So we we huddled up together. We were just like, like back to back to back, like a little triangle. You watch this way, you watch this way, you watch this way. That's how we stood like talking until for like an hour and a half. And then after an hour and a half, mind you, it's probably about nine o'clock at night now. They're like, okay, let's play. <laughs> you mean we still got like they got the power back up and I'm like you mean we we're still about to play what if it pops again <laughs> what if the whole building catches a fire like I've, I've been in some interesting places and seen some interesting things and like I said the, the correct word you use is spoiled it does it it, it humbles you mm -hmm. when you go overseas it humbles you um, so what type of mentality would you encourage young players to have that are thinking about coming overseas if they want to have a long and successful career overseas? You know, what type of mentality mindset um, do they need to have year after year when they're talking, when they're thinking about how you're training, how you're adapting? I would say lower your standards just a little, because like you say, we are spoiled. So lower your standards and increase your work ethic. That's what I would say. And and take care of your body. Uh, make sure you're eating right. Make sure you're getting adequate sleep. Don't just be up and, because everybody's not up until, you know, it's, it's 7 o'clock here in the United States, but it's 4 o'clock in the morning where you are, but you have a 9 o'clock practice and you've been up all night. You know, you have to take care of your body. You have to take care of your mind. Some people, I love, I enjoy meditating. I also enjoy books. I enjoy you know, just motivational videos and things like that to keep my mind fresh because it is going to be a mental battle to be away from home, away from family in an unknown place. So I would definitely say drop your standards as far as what kind of gear you're going to get, you know, who's going to show you, who's going to kiss your ass basically. Because in college you have some people who play and the coaches are just like, you're it. You got this. You're the one. You're the best player of this. You're the best player of that. Okay. When you get overseas, coaches aren't going to tell you that. Players aren't going to tell you that, not right off the bat. So just kind of lower your, standard, your standards, humble yourself, and increase your work ethic. 
and always take care of your body. That means mentally, and that means nutritional-wise, nutrition-wise, and getting adequate sleep. After seeing so many different countries and so many different clubs, what do you think about the differences between the American system and the European system? Because in the American system, we tend to play with people that are our same age. You go through high school, Mm -hmm. then you go to college, Mm -hmm. and you're playing Mm -hmm. with people your age. In the European system, you could be, if you're a good young kid, 15, 16, 17 years old, you could be playing up with, you know, grown women, the professionals. Mm -hmm. Do you think there are pros and cons, or do you prefer one system over the other? Would you have liked to have been in a European club when you were young instead of going through the American system? Or I don't know if you've ever thought about it. Um, Obviously, for people like Rookie Rubio, Luka Doncic, it it worked out really well. The two systems are just very different. I, I wouldn't say I like one over the other. Um, I would just say the pros and cons. I like the structural progressiveness of the way it is here in the United States. Um, because if you think about it, you're a baby when you go to college. And for some people, the things that you're experiencing or like your environment, what you've been in, you may not be ready for certain things that may be thrown at you if you go too soon or if you move ahead too soon, you know? I just feel like here in America, the way the way we've been raised, it's like step by step by step by step. I think a pro to it, if, if with the way we do it is, it's just how we are as a people, you know? And I think if you were able to go from, some guys, when you look at the NBA, they get lucky, you know, they could go from high school right into the pros and be fine. But if you really look at it, there's a, a a time in between like when they're like 18 to about 20 where they're still adjusting and it's probably the some of the toughest times that they're going through they're still having to learn their body you know granted your skill and athleticism may be up there with the 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 older people you know but i just think on a mental aspect because of the way our system has been from the time we were born, it's like step by step by step by step by step. You know, you go to elementary school, and then you go to junior high, and then you go to high school, and then you go to college, you know? Or, if you're lucky enough, one thing I, I wish was different was for us women here, if there was an opportunity to go from 18 in high school straight to the WNBA, that would be wonderful. Because I feel like, I, I do feel like, when you hit that age at 18 and you graduate high school, it's like you're somewhat of an adult. And if your skill is up there at the level with the, the professional players, then why not? Go for it. Hmm. Go for it. Because the one thing I'll say for women, school is not for every woman. School is not for every person. And sometimes the only reason some girls go to school is because I have to and to be able to play in the WNBA. I can't just go from high school to the WNBA, you know? But I feel like they're at skill level. There are probably some girls that could go after high school into the WNBA. I like the pro of it that you go and you get a scholarship and you get a degree. I like that part because basketball is not going to last forever. So I like that part. Now, the way it's done overseas, again, I feel like the structure of their system from the time they're born is different from ours. It's like they learn more. They're they're highly educated, even though they feel like we have the top educational systems, you know, in the world. And so I feel like they're just they're highly educated, and 
I think that because they throw them in those positions where you get a chance to play with the older players, it gives you an opportunity at that. At, if you're 16, because the youngest player I played with when I was in Turkey, I think she was 15. Granted, she was quiet. She didn't play a lot. But at 15, you're just soaking it all in. You're learning everything. You're grabbing everything. By the time you hit 17, 18, you're ready, you know, because you've had an opportunity to play with older people at, at many different age ranges, you know, mm-hmm. and you've learned a skill from every single one of them because the older you get, the wiser you become. And so you're like 15 learning knowledge from people that's like, they're 35 and it, it took them until 35 to get this, but you're getting it at 15. So by the time you hit 17, 18, yes, you're ready. You know, mm-hmm. it works. It To me, that's a pro. But then you got to think about the con, because for some people it doesn't work. You end up just rolling with the team, you know, just being on the team at 15. You're just on the team. You may not hit your peak until you hit 21 or until you hit 2021 because you never get an opportunity because you're 15. And for the most part at 15, you've learned to just sit and be quiet and suck it all up and just be out there kind of just running. And you may feel like I'm not as good as them, so I'm just going to be here, which I've had teammates like that, too. Mm-hmm. You know, they were what just about, like, I'm just here to be an extra body. <laughs> what about teammates that you've had who are trying to study and play at the same time? Like, I know in the States, we, it's together, college and, mm-hmm. and your athletics. It's together. You mm-hmm. can graduate in four years. But in the European system, your professors couldn't care less if you have a game, yeah. um, if you have an exam. And I've played with players who are maybe 28, 29, and they're still working towards their college degree. And it, it yeah. kind of just blows me con. away. That's one of those cons to it, you know, like, because we do stuff step by step, like I say, it works. It's, it's got its pros to it. But as far as, you know, you're 15 and you're still in going through high school at 15, um, you're going to miss some practices. You're going to miss some games. It's going to be games you may not be able to go to because you have school, you know. You can't just travel with us because you have school. So there may be a game you may not be be able to show up to. But like I said, I mean, that's that's one of the cons because you have to it it takes you a little longer. to learn. and maybe maybe that works for them, you know, because the older you get, the wiser you become. And if you're 26 and you're into going into something that you want to do and you know like you're 26 now you know you want to do this you know you ain't wasting money (laughs) you're going you're not wasting time for us when you're 18 18 to what 21 22 they're like what do you want to do for the rest of your life this is what you're going to get all right go on be on your way you're going to pay all this money to do this and then when you're 25 you're like i want to do this then you gotta go back to school (laughs) you know so I mean, for me, I, I definitely feel like that's a con because right now, I would not want to go back to school. I would not want to still be trying to play ball. And I would I would have been like, forget school. I'm saying professional basketball right now. Forget school. That would have been my mindset. So I, I think that's tough. I think that's a, a pro that we have where, you know, you're, you're getting the, the academics and the, the athletics at the same time. I think that's a pro that we have. And it's at a young age when you're still fresh and you still have that energy to be able to focus on so many different things with about four hours of sleep. You know, when you hit 26, 27, 30, 
You'd be like, oh, to read this book or to go to sleep. Sleep. <laughs> Yeah, I've thought about it a little bit. And the one thing I do like is what you said, that as you get older, as far as European athletes, they, they're they studying and they're playing as, as long as they keep playing, you know, they're making mm-hmm. money and then they're studying yeah. on the side. And, you know, until yeah. they get to whatever age, they can do both things at the same time. And that's, it works out, you know, but right. they don't have, they don't have the college experience like we do in the States. Um, True. True. And I... I really, you know, I wouldn't change that for anything. But, um, you know, who's to say what's better, what's worse? I think it's just different. And uh, I yeah. was just curious, curious to hear your yeah. perspective. But um, <laughs> as, we're, as we're getting to the end of the interview here, I wanted to ask you just some, like, rapid-fire questions. Um, Uh-oh. <laughs> put you in the hot seat a little bit. What, uh, what was your jersey number and why? High school, I was 10 because my mom wore 10 in high school. When she played, so I was 10. Uh, college, I was 12 because my mom also wore 12 in softball. I wanted to be 12 in high school, but somebody, like, we didn't have a 12 at first, so I took 10 and I rolled with 10 all the way throughout. Uh, but she was 10 and 12, and so I wanted to be 12, but I was 10 in high school. When I got to college, I was 12. And then 13, I grabbed 13 because 13th is my birthday. Uh, 13 is like a lucky number for me. It's just, it's an odd number. It's different, and I feel like I'm different. You know, I'm I'm kind of odd. You know, I just so <laughs> ten, okay. twelve, and thirteen. Um, and all the years that you went overseas, was there a certain food product that you had to put in your suitcase when you went over there Oreos. that you knew weren't? Oreos. Oreos. Yes, Oreos and peanut butter for a while. Cause at first, I I don't know, maybe I wasn't shopping properly or whatever, but. I couldn't find peanut butter, so uh, Oreos and peanut butter. Okay, yes, very good. The peanut butter is sometimes difficult to find, especially if yes. it's just different, you know, you never know what kind you're going to get. Um, right. What would you say is one of your bread and butter go-to moves? Mm, it used to be the step off, uh, step off the post, shoot the jumper, baseline. Okay. Yeah. Uh-huh. Good, yeah, because you're not... You're not a very tall post player, um, yeah. so you got to use your your quickness and uh, face yes. up. So I got you yeah. baseline step away uh, shot, face up shot. <laughs> yep. um, all the countries that you've played in, uh, mm-hmm. you might have to scratch your brain for this one. But <laughs> is there is there like a word? that you learned in another language that you really liked how it sounded or that you thought was funny or um, that you just liked how it rolled out of your mouth? Not out of my mouth, but when everyone else would say it, Aranda. <laughs> because, it's, yeah. you know, it's like Aranda. <laughs> okay, but in, so the, like... in the <laughs> States, in the States, do people roll their R's when they say it? Of course not. Our Honda... Aranda? No, it doesn't sound the same. Okay, so in the, in Europe, you enjoy listening to people say your name? Yes. I also, Jenim. That's the one word I absolutely love, Jenim. What language is that? Turkish. Okay. It means sweetheart. It means oh. sweetheart. And it's what they say all the time. Yes, Jenim. Just Jenim. Like, jazz sweetheart. Just Jenim. Like, I, I love Jenim. Ah, okay. 
I like yeah. that because in Spain, you know, people, they throw around affectionate words all the time, like guapa, hija, yes. cariño. Um, yeah. So to hear, and, to hear another and you're so fluent. I'm so jealous of that. God, I'm so jealous of that. <laughs> well, to hear another word like that in Turkish is kind of neat. Genem. Genem. Sweetheart. Yeah. Okay. Um, you can like, say like, you know, fey genem or genem or whoever you want to call it and say genem behind it. It's like, it's, it's enduring and sweet, but at the same time, sometimes like, because if you're on the court and you're like, genem, genem, just genem. I'm like, well, what's genem? There's a lot of genems out here. <laughs> but yeah, that's one of my favorite words. I'm just wondering, like, all the different countries that you played in, did you have to go through a process as far as paperwork and visas and anything like that to be able to like be legal and go over there? Um, did you run into any problems with visas and things? Um, I never had any problems, but um, I had to have a visa. I didn't when I, when my first year I went to Switzerland. I didn't. Uh, when I went to Finland, I didn't either. Yeah, I know. Weird, right? I did. Yeah. I don't know if it was like at a, it, it hit at a certain time where they started requiring you to. But uh, my first year I went to Spain, I didn't. Um, and then after that, it was like for France, I did because I was there uh, like 10 months in France. So I had to have visa and um, I had to have a, a ID card because I was driving there. Um and every time after that, I had to have a visa. Like my passport, that's like 10 pages gone, you know, uh -huh. because they put them in your passport. And then sometimes they give you the little card. In Turkey, I had to have a, a little ID card just like everybody else. Okay. So you had to do work on your end in Atlanta as far as either going <clears throat> to the embassy? No? Nope. They yeah. somehow they did. I went to the embassy for Spain once. Um, and I went to the embassy for, I had to go for France. I did. Um, that one was the first time when I had to really do some stuff because like I said, I was there for 10 months. So, which was well past, you know, the normal seven or eight that we're there. And yeah. so, um, I had a lot of stuff I had to do for that. Um, I had to get stuff translated into French. Um, it was it was a lot of stuff I didn't have to do for that. It wasn't a hassle or any trouble because here in Atlanta we have absolutely every embassy I do believe uh, for every country. That's but, nice. Um, it is, thank God. Yeah, but, because uh, in Minneapolis in Minneapolis we don't have a Spanish embassy. I had to go to Chicago. And if right, you see? if you forget a piece of paper or if you don't have everything, <laughs> you wasted a trip. SOL. You had to come back. Yeah, yeah. So, um, but yeah, I had to do some visas for uh, Turkey, for sure. Uh, Spain, one year. Um, Africa, for sure. I had to get a yellow fever shot for Africa. That was interesting. Like, I had to go to, go to Africa. I had to go and get a lot of uh, shots that I had never had and didn't think I would need. Um, that was interesting because I had to go to a lot of different places and I absolutely positively hate needles, hate them. So, but aside from that, um, I think I have about six or seven visas in my passport. Okay. I was like, it, it, it'd be nice if they were still valid now and I could just come in and out, <laughs> you know, but it doesn't work yeah. like that. 
Uh-huh. Unfortunately, there's an expiration date. Yeah. Um, yeah. Can we touch real quick on your experience in, so you were in Mozambique? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, because I've only played in the European League, so I have no idea what the African League is like. Um, I don't know, like, and you had never been to Africa before, I'm assuming. Uh-uh. No, no. So I'm sure you kind of went over with some stereotypes or you went over with some ideas of what you thought it was going to be like. Um, right. Did it did it shake out to be how you were expecting it to be? Did they surprise you? Um what did you learn? What did you take away from your experience there? Well, I would say that was probably the most humbling place for me. Um, the people there were <laughs> just the way they took care of the little things that they had. It, it made me appreciate the big things that I have, but more so the little things that I have, you know, that was probably the most humbling uh, experience for me. Now, basketball wise, Oh yeah, the country is beautiful too. Like that that you see on TV when they have the commercials with the kids, like of course that stuff is going on, but Africa is really, really beautiful. Um, The country itself, but the competition, yes, it is exactly what I expected. Do you remember Astu, Torre? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Imagine playing with or against five other Astus. Or let me put it this way. Imagine being on the court and you're running up and down the court with nine other players that has the speed of Usain Bolt almost. <laughs> like the the level, the physicality of it, just the, the quickness of the game, the toughness. The sh- like they were strong as I was. Stronger sometimes I felt. But being there, when I tell you my body was in the best conditioning, the best shape, I probably had about 5% body fat. Yeah. And that was probably after about two weeks of being there. Practices were like tough. Um, they were strong. The the competition, it was really, really great. It was. It was really great. Those are one of those memories where I will never ever forget it. Mm-hmm. And 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 like at toward at, by the end of it, we were in the tournament for the country. And uh, the Queens of Africa, the Queens Cup for Africa. And um, by the time we had got to that point, because I was there for about three months, by the time we got to that point, when I tell you, I never got tired. I never got tired. And I played the entire game, running up and down, up and down. One time I thought I could dunk. Like, it just, like, seriously, I was up so high. And there's actually a picture, because I was up so high and I was just like the whole time I'm playing, I felt like I was outside of myself, watching myself, thinking Mm -hmm. to myself, where has this player been? Like it took for you to come all the way here to find this player. It just, it was amazing. Like I enjoyed it. I, I, that's one of those opportunities where I would come out of retirement for that, to get that experience again. Mm -hmm. I would, it was great. Do they speak English in Mozambique? Yeah, French and um, English. Okay. And so you... whatever African language they have. But yes, they do speak English because you have a lot of uh, people out selling and markets and stuff like that. So they definitely speak English. Okay. And you know that I'm a foodie and I love food and just trying mm-hmm. new things. Um, mm-hmm. 
what was your experience there with the food? I mean, what were the supermarkets like? Did you eat typical Mozambique food? I mean, they eat a lot of fish, uh-huh. um, which is good. I, I love fish. But this fish is the fish with the head still on the fish, <laughs> with the eyes on the fish. And the bones are still in the fish. And as you say, we Americans are spoiled. So like the spoiled American I was, yes, I ate the food, but I had one of my teammates who played in college here in America, um, in the States. She was there playing too, we were on the same team. And uh, every time there was fish, she would always take the fish, she would cut the fish open, pull all the meat out, put it on the plate for me, take the bones and put it on the plate for me. And then she would give me the plate and then I would go and get my rice and my vegetables and stuff. I have no shame saying that, but I can not. The fish that has the head on it or fish with the bone, it once when I was younger, I stabbed myself with one of the bones from the fish because I thought I had got it out, but I did it. And it stabbed my gums in my mouth. And I never forget that. So now I, I hate fish that has the bone in it because I feel like I'm going to forget a bone. But every time we, there was fish, she would do that for me. The food was really good. It was uh, well seasoned, but it was lean. Like I feel like uh, when they put us up in this hotel, which was really, really nice with a view that was amazing every single morning. Um, with the sun coming up and when the sun was setting, it was just you could see all the way across uh, the city, which was really really awesome. But the food there was like you know a lot of rice, uh, vegetables, uh, curried stuff. A lot there was a lot of fruit and stuff too, but not a, a whole whole lot. Um, the markets were kind of slim. They not they were they weren't like the markets that we're used to, especially here in the U.S. Like but even like overseas. Um, in Spain, like if you go into the market um, or the grocery store, it wasn't this. You had to drive out to get to like a big grocery store. But the the little stores, they were like just little on the corner grocers like mm-hmm. that. They didn't have Oreos though. They weren't Oreos, but they, hey, cookies. They were like the lemon cookie, like the Oreo put like lemon in the middle. Uh-huh. You can always tell cookies. <laughs> Unlike peanut butter. Uh, but it's interesting for me to hear you talk about the fish because I don't know if I've just changed over the years or what, but I actually enjoy having the head on and the bones in because in my mind, I'm thinking this is fresh and this Mm -hmm. hasn't, this hasn't been like pre-prepared or anything like that. Um, but when my family comes over, they do not enjoy that and they do not, my mom, she doesn't even really know how to debone it. Uh-huh. Um, and, uh, I just look at her like, how do you not know how to do this? But of course, because back in the States, every time we buy shrimp, every time we yep. buy salmon, everything, yep. it's always cleaned. Um, but yeah. I, I, I prefer it like that because I feel like it's fresher. <laughs> I, I mean, I do too. Just as long as somebody could get those phones, like I, in France, food, the food was really good in France. Like, oh my God. But in France, they did, they would do the same thing, but the way they would do it, they would like slice it in half and then open it and it's sitting there. So you see, like, let me just pull here and this will pull all of the bone, like the bristle and everything, you know, right. like that. See, I, I'm okay with that, but this one, it's literally the whole fish. I don't know how to cut you in half. I, I don't know how to chop the head off. I, where do I start? Uh, okay. I didn't realize so, it was the whole fish like that. 
Yeah, yeah. The, with the fin, the head, it's like they just grabbed him and tossed him on the grill. And he died on the grill. And they shook a little salt and pepper over him. And then when he was cooked, they pulled it off and put it on the plate. Okay. Bon appetit. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Well, differences, right? Um, Yeah, real quick. There was another food thing. There was was, uh, one place I was at. And um, I was in Switzerland. This happened to me twice in Switzerland. But the very first time... Um, when they brought it to me, because, you know, sometimes with some clubs, you have a restaurant, a certain restaurant you can go eat at one time a day. And so I went to the restaurant and normally I just be like, just bring me the meal of the day, whatever the meal of the day is. You know, we're good. I'm good with that. I, that way I get to try something different, something new every day. Um, otherwise, I just come in there and order spaghetti. They brought out the plate. And when they were bringing the plate, I wasn't really looking. I don't know what I was doing. I wasn't really looking. But the plate, when the plate hit the table, I looked. And when I looked, it was the uh, the leg of the, the octopus, the tentacle of the octopus with yeah. the suction sitting there. It was like four of those on a plate with <laughs> just a scoop of rice and some mixed vegetables. And I looked up and I was like, oh, I'm not eating this. I'm sorry, you this. They was like, try it, try it. No. <laughs> no, I felt like because the way my imagination is set up, I felt like as soon as I cut it, it was going to start moving. Or when I put it in my mouth and I get ready to bite down, the suction is going to stick to the top of my gums or stick to my my yeah my tongue or something, and I'm going to sit there and probably have a fit. <laughs> I, I, yeah, you're going to see an American act really, really spoiled because I am going to lose my mind. So that I was just like, no, no, I can't. I'm so sorry. I'm so, so sorry. I, I can't, you know. And they was like, okay, okay, we bring something else. Thank you so much. Ooh, I wasn't even hungry after that, but I forced myself <laughs> to eat like a few spoons of it because I didn't want to seem like I was ungrateful. You know, and then I left. But the second time that happened to me, I was in Switzerland, different place, and they brought it, and this had like a red sauce on it. I was like, ah, I just got up and walked out. I was like, I can't. If you're going to do it, bring it to me smoke. Make it look like it was grilled or something. Don't bring this with some red sauce. Is this blood? Like... (laughs) Maybe so, it was like paprika with olive oil or something. I don't know. No, say this was like a tomato sauce type stuff. Uh, I'm just like, oh no, I can't eat this. I'm sorry. They was like, when I got ready to walk out, they was like, you don't like, you don't want, you didn't even try. They were mad. I was like, you yeah, know, I, I can't eat that. And they was like, huh. the only time I go to McDonald's is overseas. But I was like, huh, let me go to McDonald's. I will spend my money today. I will spend my money today. <laughs> Uh, and McDonald's in Switzerland is expensive, but it is. Um, everything is expensive. Yeah, but that's that's funny because you know octopus is kind of a specialty. So for <gasps> them, for them, maybe they were thinking like, oh, she's turning down this expensive specialty meal, you know. But um, <laughs> I was in the same situation as you. We we didn't really get to choose our meals. They just brought them right. to us. And I was right. in Switzerland, and one day I got a bowl of intestines with beans 
I couldn't eat that. I couldn't do the intestine thing. Because yeah. you could look at it and you could see the, like, you could see what it looks exactly like. Exactly what it is. Yeah. <laughs> and then another time they put a big, thick cow tongue on the plate. And it was long. Oh and you could oh see the taste God. buds on it. And I, yeah. <laughs> I couldn't yeah. do it. The cow tongue is... The cow tongue is just sitting there like, yep, come on, let me taste what your mouth tastes like, come on. <laughs> yeah, and I've had cow tongue since then, but it's been like really finely shaved, you know, and you can't tell that it's a tongue. But when you look at something and you can tell that it's a tongue, that was tough, but. Yeah, yeah, yeah if those you are... look at anything, you'd be like, oh, this is, uh, this is intestines, uh. You didn't want to like put that, chop it up in some cubes or something, make it look like it's not this, or you know, even with the octopus, you didn't want to like finally chop that and throw it in some soup, you know? I'm like, I get to look at the suctions. Nah, I ain't gonna be able to eat that. I'm sorry. Call me what you want to call me, but I ain't gonna be able to eat that. My mom yeah. would 100% agree with you because she's been given octopus here in Spain, and everybody's like watching to see does she like it? Does she like it? And she's just chewing. Because it's chewy. It's really chewy. Yes. And uh, once she kind of smiles at everybody and makes them think that she likes it, then they, they leave her alone and they, they go on to the conversation. And then she spits it out into her napkin. Exactly. <laughs> she was a you favorite. Know? She, she did more than I did. At least she tried it. I couldn't. I couldn't. I'm sorry. My, the way my imagination is set up, I couldn't get past the fact of this being Ursula. <laughs> you too. Ursula's tentacles, and now they are on my plate. No. <laughs> Absolutely not. Right. Jazz, this has been a pleasure, I gotta say. Yes, yes it has. It's a good excuse to reconnect for sure. <laughs> right, right. Like old times. In yeah. You. I know, we didn't talk about it, but we lived together, you, me, a girl from Great Britain, a girl from Croatia. Um, yeah. All well, four of us, together. one All big you guys happy. Are like my big sisters. <laughs> it was Even so awesome. The right. <laughs> and by big sister, let me clarify. Uh, as far as food goes, laundry. I when you talk about spoil, you guys spoil <laughs> me. I don't ever think I said thank you, but thank you. <laughs> well, we had a good time. Well, uh, Aranda, I will let you get on with your day in Atlanta. And uh, I really I really appreciate your time and thank you for sharing. Thank you for inviting me on your podcast. And, you know, I enjoyed this conversation as well. Animated is a word I would use to describe Jazz Aranda Covington. And I'd say her personality has really flourished since her shy days of playing in her room and drawing pictures of floor plans for houses. Next week, we'll be back with the story of another professional athlete. However, the interview will be in Spanish. If you're studying or wanting to improve your Spanish, this is your opportunity to get in some quality listening time. And if you enjoyed today's podcast, please take the time to rate us and give us a review. Your support means so, so much. And that's all for this week. Thank you for listening to another season in the books. I'm Leslie Knight, wishing you a safe and healthy week.